I forgot to have my wife match. She's going to be upset with me because that's too cute. You guys may be seated. Thank you. 838 Apparel. Check them out on Facebook if you want some of this. And Nathan, where are you at? Come on, man. Stand up. Let's give it up for Nathan. Come on. Boom. God's army in the house. Amen. Then we got new man clothing. You got a new man shirt on. Let's give it up for Yuli. Stand up with your new man shirt. There you go. Amen. I love seeing young people and older people bring out the fashion. Amen. I love seeing that. And, and we got to be uh, on the cutting edge. We can't let the world outdo us, right? We got to be in, in, in all of this. We got to be in fashion. We got to be in technology and music and entertainment. But keeping our righteous testimony and standard. Today we are going to go into the book of Revelation, chapter 8, verse 6, the seven trumpets. Please turn there with me if you can. Just to remind everybody, we're going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And what's really cool about this is the notes have the chart. And if you want to take a closer look at it, you can zoom in. And just to catch up to where we're at, we've already gone through the seven churches. And I believe the rapture has happened. How many believe that? Amen. Not too many. Okay, that's all right. We're up there. You guys are going through there. Wouldn't that be funny if you had to make a choice, you know? But so I believe the rapture has happened. That's why the discussion starts with the church. You don't hear about them anymore. All you see is a great multitude that we've already discussed. And then as we've gone through the uh, seals, you see that 144,000 are sealed. So while seals are being opened off a scroll of judgment, 144,000 are then being sealed. Notice that terminology, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now we're going to get into the seven trumpets. Now because there is a big interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, which I think is our biggest interlude, which is going to teach us all about the Antichrist, the kingdoms, how he comes to power, and why there is a time period called of the seven years of tribulation, also known as the 70th week of Daniel. We're going to learn about that, Lord willing, next week. So today I'm going to bring you through the six trumpets. If if you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Then I'm going to show you how to compare the seals with the trumpets and the bowls. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Starting in chapter 8, verse 6, then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was, uh, excuse me, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, if you remember from last week that we talked about there are some folks who say that the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls are circular in the story and that they are talking about the same period. So in other words, after we go through the seven seals and hear about the seven trumpets, it's really bringing us back to the same time period of the seven seals. And then when we get to the seven bowls of wrath, they're really talking about the same time period of the seals and the trumpets. And so a way to look at it would be they're just stacked on each other. So while the 
seals are being opened, trumpets are being sounded, and bowls are coming out. Now, you can believe that and still believe in our position of when the rapture happens, which we believe the rapture happens before the seven years of tribulation. So there are some, like I've mentioned, the Fire Study Bible, which is used by the Assemblies of God, they take it as a cyclical um, description of the judgment that's happening all during that time, and then they take what we're going to learn here, they take that as being the running timeline. So all of these things are happening all together in the same seven-year period. I do not agree with that. I take the point of view like John Hagee has here in a timeline that you actually see as events happening. So you start with the seals, you then go to the trumpets, and you then go to the bowls. Now, what's one of my arguments for that? Well, we just read that the, um, the, the trumpet, green grass, and a third of the earth is burned up. Well, does that relate to the first seal and the first horseman of the apocalypse bringing destruction and war? No, most people believe that first horse introduces the Antichrist. So it has nothing to do with the vegetation. So right there, you'd be having to mix things. But now let's keep going and see the point that they want to make, which is now the second angel. There's something similar here, and I'll get into it in just a moment. But let's read verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the living, uh, excuse me, a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, if you remember how we're interpreting Revelation, I take it pretty much face value until I get a reason to take it otherwise. So what do I think that this is describing here? I think it's describing something like a huge mountain. That's what I think it is. Everybody get that? I don't try to get all deep and try to figure it all out. What is the huge mountain? No, I think there's something like a mountain that God throws into the sea. Now, here is where people who like to bring up the comparisons go. They say, notice this right here. Now, it doesn't fit with the seal because the seal is, second seal is war. That wouldn't fit. So now they might say, oh, well, maybe the trumpets and the bowls are similar because, look, a third of the sea is destroyed, and then what is the bowl that we're about ready to go to? It says the sea turns to blood. But I want you to see the difference in what this is. So go with me. I believe that passage is uh, Re uh, Revelation 16.3. And then I want you to also open up the one that we have. So open up two passages. We'll have it up here for you. I want you to see the difference and why, you know, my point, I believe, is right, that it's increasing judgment. So as you go to Revelation chapter 16, verse 3, also hold and open up here for us Revelation 8, verse 8. And so as you're opening up those two passages, you're going to see that there's a difference, and it's not talking about the same period. Otherwise, there would be a contradiction. Okay, there you go. You got this 16.3. Now go to the next window right there and open up Revelation chapter 8, verse 8 for me, please. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. Now what we just read is up here, and it says that the mountain is thrown into the sea, and how much of the living creatures die here at the trumpet? How much? A third. So at the second trumpet, something is thrown into the sea, a third of the living creatures die. Now, there is a similarly, a, similarly, a similarity here. Have you ever tried to pronounce a word in front of people and it just goes bad for you? That was one of those moments. Here we go. Notice that it's similar. It's messing with the sea. But what happens here? How many of the creatures die in the sea? 
Every living creature dies in the sea. So is it talking about the same time periods? Are these the same time periods? No, they are increasing in judgment. So it's not, it's not even similar to the, the for a second seal. It's not even similar. The second seal has to do with uh, bloodshed and war coming. But there is a similarity between the second trumpet and the, the second bowl. Both of them mess with the sea. But notice it would be a contradiction if you're saying they're happening at the same time. Because when the trumpet sound, it's a third of the living things die in the sea. At the bowl, all the living things die in the sea. Does everybody see the difference? Here is the bowl. Every living thing dies in the sea. So where can we now safely reside in our timeline? We can say these are increasing judgments upon the same things. It's not the same time period. Just something to think about. Once again, we're not holding to these things, you know, with a closed hand position. We are open to learning and having disagreements. We don't do that with the Trinity. I mean, of course, we love those we disagree with, but we don't consider that Orthodox Christianity. There are multiple views here in this book that we can hold to as Christians, but I believe we're right. How many believe we're right? Especially when it comes to this, because you see the differences. Obviously, the seals don't match the bowls or the trumpet. We're already off, and we're only at the second one, so that's not matching. But then when they do match, they don't match an intensity of judgment. And so it's better, I think, and safer to the context to say that what's actually happening is it's increasing over time. And we believe it's a seven-year period. And by the time we get to the bowls, by the time we get to the worst part of the judgment, there's no living creatures left in the sea. And that's when we're getting close to Christ coming back upon the earth because he is judging everything and it's the earth is being destroyed. So a third of the living creatures... Uh, die in the sea, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10 for the third angel. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky, and uh, fell from the sky in a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters were turned bitter, and many people died from the waters because they had turned what? Bitter. Now, notice this again. This has really nothing to do with the seals. We go now to the third seal, and we see uh, the, the famine, and then the fourth seal is pestilence. So none of those things are even lining up here, okay? The third trumpet is the waters turning bitter, and now there is a similarity here. What happens? The waters, the fresh waters, turn to blood. So do you see the increase there? And we don't have to turn to the scripture. I have it on the notes. But that's my point. These are increasing. So think of bitter waters as what they faced when they were in the desert. The Israelites, they had bitter waters. But it wasn't blood. It could be bitter for multiple different reasons. But the waters turning to blood is what God did to Egypt. Okay, so that's worse. And that is part of what's killing everything. Nothing can live. And now you can't even drink it. Well, how long do you think you're going to last on the planet with the waters turning to blood? Which is my point uh, that this has to be towards the end and intensifying, otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. This is right towards the end before Jesus comes back. And maybe at most you can go a few days without water. People will be, you know, scrounging around. Maybe there'll be some big water tanks. But it, it can't be very far from the Battle of Armageddon when Christ is coming back. Once again, showing us that we're probably the right ones on the timeline. Now going to the fourth angel, he, uh, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned black, and a third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. 
Everybody go science. Okay, so now here's where we're going to talk a little bit about science. And I do have a new link in here. We had a little problem with refreshing some of the goodies I did. But hit enter for me. We'll see if I got the link I just put in between first and second service. Thank you, good sir. And uh, let's see if it's here because I want you to go back and look at it. Uh, those who, who maybe go back and listen to the first service, you'll see I got lost in this a little bit. Let's refresh it one more time just to see if you guys can be able to click on it. Just go ahead and hit enter. Thank you, good brother. If not, I'll just give you my best summary of it because I wanted to send a link for you guys as well. Okay, it's not there. So if you go to the notes, it will refresh maybe 10, 15 minutes. You'll see a link there. The question that now people will ask us from science is, how in the world can stars go black and we see it that quickly because how many know starlight is very far away and it takes a long time to get here. So, so they say what we're seeing today or tonight as starlight is millions of years old. That's a picture of the past. Has anybody heard that before? That when you're seeing starlight, you're seeing something that is million years old. So if God said, I'm going to shut off the lights of these stars way over there, they would have had to have been shut off millions of years ago for that to reach us where we see now the light cuts off. Because the light we're now seeing is not the present, it's from the past of those starlights. And this is where you get into the description of what is going on here and scientifically how do we explain it. Now if you wanted to, you could just punt and you could just say God can do whatever he wants to do as long as it's not a contradiction. And is it a contradiction for God to make things turn on and off in our world? Absolutely not. So let me explain the miracle view of this, and there's no problem with this, okay? I just want to show miracles are not against what we would consider logic. Logic, uh, excuse me, miracles cannot be explained by science because science is that which is repeatable in the natural world. You can't repeat walking on water. That was a miracle. By definition, it's something different than the natural order. Does everybody get where I'm going with that? Just keep up with me as we're in class right now. I got to go a little deep, but I want you guys to grow in this. How, how many like it when I go a little deep? Amen. We'll get back to the locust demons upon the earth in just a moment. We'll get spiritual again, but let's just go deep. So here's the miracle. The miracle is God can do what he wants to in this universe as long as it doesn't violate his nature. And the Bible says God cannot lie. That means God cannot contradict truth. He is truth. He is, he is wisdom. So he's not going to lie. He's not going to contradict himself. So this is the way I look at miracles. If I step into the virtual world, put on the virtual goggles, or I step into the coding of a video game or the coding of a cartoon or a, a CGI animation of a movie, when I step into that, there are rules that I have to play by, like one plus one still equals two in that world, but there's other rules that I can manipulate. I can go beep, boop, boop, and I can make Superman fly. How many see Superman fly in the, in the movies? How many have ever flied in a video game or played a video game where you were like a Superman hero? Did you violate the laws of logic? No, but those laws in that video game were different than the laws that were in this world, right? So you go into the video game to play by a different set of laws, different set of gravity laws, different set of motion and energy. And then when you get done with the movie, the video game, you step back into this world. Well, unfortunately, you can't fly. And most of us that look like me can't even jump. Are you listening? The gente, you're somewhere in the middle of the African-American leaping to the sky and the white person jumping like this. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, not only can we not fly, we can't jump, okay? But everybody get this. 
When you stepped out into that virtual world, you stepped back into this world. But what is this world to God? See, God stepped out of his world into our world, and if God wants to come into this world, he can do what he wants. He can make water stand still. He can make the sun stand still. He can have one of you know, his son walk on water. He can do all of that because as we come out of the virtual world back into this world, he can come out of the heavenly realm into this world and go back into the heavenly realm. Now, of course, we know he encompasses all at the same time, but I just wanted to give you that interaction like how I go into a virtual world, God can come into this world. How I can manipulate and do things in a virtual world, God can come into this world. Because before this world was, God was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to know what that world was like that created this world. I want to know what he was like before he created all of this. So the miracle punt is not necessarily a bad thing, and Christians of all ages might just say, well, I don't understand it, but God does, and that's okay. It's not a contradiction. But I like to go a little bit deeper. Everybody say deeper. If you go to Answers in Genesis, which that link will lead you to, you'll see Christian astrophysicists, people who deal with the same math as the non-Christian astrophysicists. And guess what? We have explanations to how this can happen scientifically. Because when you look at the age of the earth and you go, uh, you know, we think we're less than 10,000 years old and the universe is basically less than 10,000 years old, we run into a problem. And that is the problem of starlight. Because when we start right here and measure the distance of the furthest stars and we measure that in light years, how fast light travels in a year that is the speed of light, we realize that that is a lot further away from us than 10,000 years. Now, some people who like to believe in flat earth and different things go, forget all that math. It's based on wrong equations. It's only 6,000 years wide. Just leave it alone. But those of us who take the math and say we have no problem with it, we have to come up with an explanation. How is the earth so young in what we believe in the created order, but yet so old in this expansion? Did everybody get the conundrum we're in now? If we're going to take the math serious, if we're just going to say it's bogus math, throw it out, then you can kind of go anywhere from there. But I like the math. I like the science. I don't have a problem with it. So here's where Answers in Genesis goes. They go, well, before we as Christians answer our problem, let us just remind you, you have a problem. Because I would rather explain how something created something than how something came from nothing. Can we start there with your problem? How many think they have a bigger problem? And so basically the atheist or the person mocking the Bible just wants to start off with this. Well, just grant me the universe, grant me the laws of logic and the laws of math, and then let's have an argument. And we're like, no, 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 let go of those things. You don't just get to assume the universe. Well, it's here. And you just get to assume mathematics. Well, it's here. And logic. No, you've got to explain where logic and math and universe came from. It's like the old joke with God and the devil. The devil says to God, well, I can make mankind better. I want to get a chance to show you I can make a better creation. And Jesus says back to him, go ahead and do it. Just start with your own dirt. And how many know the devil can't create even dirt? All that is here now is the creation of God, whether it's been used or abused by good forces or bad forces. The point is only God can create something out of nothing, even the dirt, even the laws, even the particles, whatever we're looking deep into. So now, what is their problem? Something coming from nothing. But not only that, they have a time problem as well. 
They do math and they figure out how old is the universe if you rewind everything from the Big Bang. And oftentimes I say, I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. God said in the beginning, let there be light. Bang, it happened. That's a good one to say back to them, right? But they have a problem because they use their math, their equations, and they have a contradiction. Guess where theirs is at? They rewind the Big Bang, and it's only about 13 billion years ago from the Big Bang. But they start sending out the light and measuring the light with the telescopes. Guess how wide the universe is? 90 billion light years away. So how do you have, even according to their math, a universe that is only 13 billion years old according to rewinding the Big Bang, but 90 billion years old or expansion by light in width. So what do they say? They give a nice little punt to the expansion of the universe. Everybody say expansion. What they now have come up with, which I believe is also good science, is that light can travel faster when the space expands. It's not that light travels faster on space. It's like you right now trying to run from point A to point B. You're only going to be able to run as fast as you can. But if I put you on an airplane and then say run, how many know you're moving faster than you can do this? Oh, I lost some of you guys there. Just got a little deep, okay? Track with me again. How many know if I said run from this point right here, this part of the wall, to that part of the wall, you would have a certain speed? Let's say you ran 15 miles an hour, okay? Now I put you on a plane, okay? And the plane is going to pass from this wall to that wall, and you're going to run at the same exact speed that you did. How many know it's going to be a lot faster than 15 miles an hour? But how many know you traveled the same amount of space at 15 miles an hour? The difference was while you were doing this, something else that you were in was moving much faster than that. Okay? Hang with me, all those who want the locust of the demons. Stay up with me now, okay? Nudge your neighbor and say, get this. You need to get this, okay? So you don't lose your faith to somebody doing a Discovery Channel episode, okay? Like I said, I can just punt and say it was a miracle and move on. Is that what you want me to do? Or you want me to go a little deep with you guys? How many of you use a smartphone, even though sometimes you feel dumb? Can I be honest with you? We're not as smart as our technology. And so sometimes we got to take a step back and learn something. So how can this happen? How can the starlight time be solved from a Christian point of view? We're helping you understand their issue already, and I actually agree with it. And the astrophysicist that I study with or study from agrees, starlight and time, Dr. Humphreys. You can look it up. So now how do they get out of that problem? They say, well, space has been expanding, and while space has been expanding, that makes the light go faster to places that it normally couldn't travel on its own. Does everybody get it? And so the example they'll give you is, imagine having a balloon that is not blowed up and putting two dots on it. You put two dots on that balloon, they're right next to each other, you go home today for Mother's Day, you blow up the balloon. What's going to happen with those dots? They're going to expand. They're going to travel at the speed of you expanding that space between them. Even though technically the dot has not even moved, it still can expand. And that's how they say it. And so guess what we say? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Because my Bible says, and he stretched forth the heavens. 
That should get an amen in church today. And it says he did it multiple times. He stretched forth the heaven. Wow, you mean in the 21st century, the smartest among you got to where we were in our Bible? Great job. Keep up. You'll get to God one day creating everything. You'll come to the, like the, this is what the famous scientists and philosophers have, have, have said that are Christians. They said to their fellow scientists and philosophers, by the time you get to the peak of your knowledge, you'll see the Christians already there waiting for you. What took you guys so long? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So once you talk about the expansion of space, how fast can it expand? It can, expand, it, can, it can expand as fast as you possibly think it can. They haven't found a limit to how fast that thing expands. So did he blow up the balloon like this? Or did he go, you know, and there's this expansion. And so uh, what I like to think about, because I like, I like sci-fi, and a lot of theological nerds are also nerds in real life, and we kind of bounce back from these kinds of movies and, and thoughts and all that. But if you've ever seen like a Star Trek or a place where they're going to time travel or they're, uh, they're going to go to another place in the universe and they're going to leap into another place, you'll see the stars all of a sudden like turn into lines, and it's like, boom, they like shoot past them. People know what I'm talking about. When they go into hyperspace and things like that, that Adam and Eve and people might have seen that, especially at the beginning stages, because we, we think the stretching primarily happened after the fall at the beginning. And so these stretchings could have been happening right there. And instead of it looking like, um, you know, like um, uh, the, the hyperspace, it could have looked like just something that was magnificent, full of glory. I mean, who knows how amazing it was. But the way he did it at the beginning is the way he's going to do it at the end, because if he can stretch it, how many know he can compress it. And guess what? Out of the one of the three scientific options, and they change all the time. That's why you got to follow a, a standard before you go into science, because otherwise you'll always be on shifting sand. The best scientists were always Christians and are Christians. And so there's three possibilities of how the universe ends according to them. And one of them is the great collapse, because it blew out like a balloon. It went out, but then what happens after you lose energy in that balloon? It comes back in. Did everybody get that? So they call it the great expansion, the great, you know, inflation, and then there's going to be at the end of energy because there's no more energy being put in. There's going to be a great deflation. That's one of their three options. The Bible says it happens. So what do I think it's going to be like that day? Yeah, God could just do a miracle and just shift matter, space, and time around just really quick and boom, there it is. Just as if you went to a different world in your video game and it's like, boom, there's that new world and stars are here instead of there. Okay, God can do that. Also, you could be on earth literally watching the stars starting to come in. And as they're coming in, they're turning off. Wouldn't that be amazing? How many believe God can do it either way? How many want to watch it from heaven though? You don't want to be here when it's literally hell on earth. Look at verse 13. That was my time of being deep. Now we get back to the spiritual stuff, pastor. Don't try to be a scientist. I'm not into all that science stuff. And that's why we have to be into both. How many believe both and? We don't want to be like the Christian who says, I don't believe in that stuff. And then we don't want to be on the other end just saying, well, if it's not science, I can't understand. You know, if I can't understand it in a laboratory, then I can't follow it. We need to be both and. There are mysteries in the world, and we should try to discover them. And at the same time, we need to know where all this came from. It came from God. 
Here, verse 13, as I watched, I heard an, uh, an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice. Now, notice this is not an angel. It's an eagle, and it has a voice. That's like the living creatures, but it's not one of the four living creatures. So now we're introduced to a different species. We've heard about four living creatures. We've heard about angels. We've seen the divine, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we've seen humanity. And now we see that there's an eagle that can fly and talk. How many think that's pretty cool? It starts coming down into the earth and says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. How many have ever been around a situation that's getting bad and then all of a sudden somebody comes up and goes, ooh, you better look out, so-and-so is coming. Oh, oh, you better watch out, mom's coming. Oh, you better watch out. So, you know, mom's come, dad's coming, pastor's coming. And this is what the angels do. I'm like, ooh, you guys better watch out. These last three angels, they're going to tear this place up. Chapter 9, verse 1, fifth angel sounded his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now notice this. A star is falling. What do we call today the stars that fall? Shooting stars. Now let's just take a moment right here and try to be all sciencey because people want to disprove God again. They want to disprove the Bible. It's so non-scientific, man. Stars can't come from where they are. Stars are bigger than our planet. How do you think a star is going to get here that fast? We don't even see it now. It had to have been traveling for millions of years. Now we can do the same thing. We can say, well, can God create a medium-sized star, a small star, an itty-bitty star? Can God create a star the size of a grain of sand to glow in the, you know, glow in the night and come right at us? Could he do that? Yes, because I can do that. Do that in the drawing one day. He draw one time. Here's a medium star. Here's a big star. You drew it. Couldn't God do it? No contradiction here. But guess what? How many know that could just be an asteroid, a meteor, and a comet? And we live in the 21st century, and we still call them what? Shooting stars. But don't you know it's not a star, but why do you call it this? And now this opens up a bigger conversation, which I love using the book of Revelation to teach worldview, which is this. People might say, well, well, yeah, yeah, we call them shooting stars, but you know, we're not God. God can't lie. Why doesn't God just say, it's an asteroid. It's a rock that came from an exploding star or planet. And then when it comes into the atmosphere, it gets really hot. It shines. It looks on fire. It breaks up. And that's what it is. Like John needed a footnote right here. And then if you let them go on, what's the next thing they're going to say? They're going to say, and why didn't Jesus, if he's God, ever just like whisper to the disciples after one of the Beatitudes and go, hey, by the way, soap will help you a lot. Here's some. There's, there's things called bacteria. Here's some toothpaste. Like, in other words, the person will say, why didn't Jesus or the prophets ever just break down math or science and just tell us something that would be really, really useful? Almost like in, uh, what is that, um, Back to the Future, the professor, what was his name? Doc, Doc McBrown? Okay, Doc McBrown was traveling with, with Marty McFly. Cool. Thank you, my fellow nerd right there. Fellow nerds for Jesus. Awesome. Okay. Some of you all into sports, we're into that. Are you into sports as well or just more into, oh, you're cool then, because I'm not really into sports. I'm just into movies and weird things and books. And Okay, anyways, 
So, like, why doesn't one of the prophets, like, make a combustible engine and go, hey, psst, come on over here, guys. I'm going to tell you a lot of things about God, but you want to learn how to do this. Or why didn't Jesus make a little paper airplane out of parchment and throw it across the Last Supper and be like, hey, I got a lot of important spiritual things, but here's aerodynamics and flight. Go with this. Trust me, you're going to like to travel this way. Because let me ask you a question. Is the entire point of humanity to be better at inventing, be better at science? Is that why we were created? No, according to the Bible, we're to be better at being sons and daughters of God. Now let's kind of fast forward the whole thing. Do you know about flight? Do you know about flight? How many know about flight? I'm not asking you to do aerodynamics with me. I'm just saying, how many know things fly? But did that change your life? So don't you think it would have been the same with them? So Jesus drops all this knowledge. Here's what flight looks like. And then Peter's like, but I still need Jesus. I mean, I know flight, but I don't have peace in my soul. And guess what? How many of you can research on your phone about all of the things of combustible engines and all of that? But what's it doing for you today? So all of these people who think like, oh, God should have been explaining that stuff to us as if that was the most important thing. How's it going for you now that you know about all of those things? And then at the end of the day, once again, let's just say God interrupts himself right here and says, John, now take a footnote, footnote number 25. The star is really that asteroid that's coming from an exploding planet or from, you know, from a star. And it travels and it gets heated up and it goes into the atmosphere. And then that's what I want you to know that that what that star is. What is the person living right now in the 21st century still going to call it a shooting star? And And aren't we meant to read it? And isn't it something, that term has lasted all of these years. So what's the point of God trying to impress us with all the scientific and medical knowledge that he knows when that wasn't the point to begin with? The point is, one of those things from space is coming to this earth, and it's going to crash into the abyss. Verse 2, then the star opened up the abyss. Now, everybody get this. It says, he opened up the abyss. And this is because in Greek, like in other languages, there is masculine and feminine and neuter. But the word star is actually a masculine word. And so some uh, translators translate it as he because they want to stick with it being a masculine because the star does something. I'm going to tell you just right at the beginning, I don't believe this is a he. I believe it's an it. But they are calling it a he because it's a masculine noun. And they might think that it's a he because it unlocks the abyss. But I'll explain that to you in just a moment. So I'm going to insert the translation from other versions where it says, the star was given the key to the shaft of the the abyss. When it opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a giant furnace. The sun was darkened by the smoke from the abyss. So I'm going to get to what comes out of that abyss in just a moment. So right here, you have two options. You can now think that the star is an angel. And that this goes back to Revelation where he says God, uh, Jesus holds the seven stars in his hands and these are the seven angels of the churches. And so stars can be called angels and angels can be called stars. That's up to you. But because I've been translating and working through the book of Revelation in a way that I want to be consistent, I normally take it at face value. So if it says it's a star, what is your pastor going to take that as? 
a star. So if the only issue I have to deal with here is whether or not they wanted to put an it or he there, and the translations differ because star is a masculine noun, and sometimes they try to do that, I have no problem with that. But if you now want to say, this is now an angel that's called a star, that's fine. We're going to arrive at the same place. The best argument somebody might say that it's an angel is that it has a key. But I think the key are the coordinates. So when God sends down the star, the star has a coordinate to hit, and when it hits, that's the key that unlocks everything that's going to happen. In other words, if I throw something at a door to unlock it, and it busts open that lock, I've unlocked it with it, and it had the key. It didn't have the, maybe the key that actually looked like the key you're talking about, but it had a key to get into that door. Are you tracking with me? But if you want to think it's an angel, that's fine with you, because we're going to get to the same point, which is... This thing hits the earth, explodes on impact. That's why I don't think it's an angel crashing into the earth. But it says it comes into the earth. It falls from the sky. And then the sun and the uh, sky are darkened from the abyss. And out of the abyss, smoke, out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass or the earth, uh, the grass of the earth or the plants or the trees, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, at this point, I'm going to make it, and I don't think I'll have to do it again, but we'll see. This is why I believe there's no more Christians on the earth except 144,000, because how would God allow the other Christians to be tormented by these locusts? That wouldn't seem right, would it? So he's going to protect 144,000, and they're the 12 tribes of, of Israel, 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes. So they're preaching. You get saved. Let's say you're one of the people left behind. And now they're protected, but they're like, hey, tough luck for you. You're going to be tormented by demons now or by locusts. I don't think that's the way it works. And if you're following out my timeline, the church has been raptured. Those that these folks have preached to, most of them have already been martyred. And now only left are them. And they're going to start dying of other causes, but they cannot be killed by these locusts. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them. That's the ones without the mark of God, but have the mark of the beast for five months. And the agony they suffered was like the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So everybody track with this. You're getting stung by this locust creature, which we're going to, we're going to decide whether or not it's demonic or an actual locust. We'll get to that part in verse 7. But whatever it is, I keep saying you, but God forbid it being you. I'm just saying whoever's here. You guys with me on that? How many are going to be with Jesus? And if you even are here, you're going to find a way to become a Jew and get sealed with the 12,000, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be terrible for you, okay? It's not going to be any good. So now track with me right here. These creatures are on the earth, and they are tormenting people, and they may even be saying to themselves, I want to die, but they can't. So what do I think part of that torment is? They're incapacitated. They become crippled. They become in a comas. And, and, and so imagine you are being tormented, but you can't move. I wish I could kill myself, but I can't. You want to jump off a cliff, but you can't. That's what it's going to be like. And I keep saying you, I got to say they. They will want to kill themselves, and they can't. How many know that's the penalty for them rejecting Jesus? Now, what are these locusts? Just get the description being made here. This star, which I believe is like a meteor or a falling uh, comet, comes to the earth, boom, explodes, 
opens up the abyss, smoke rises up. As the smoke is rising up, covering the earth, locusts are being exposed in that smoke, and then they descend onto the earth to torment people. You guys tracking there? Okay, now look at what they're like. Let's go to the description of these locusts. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. So this is what they look like. On their heads, they wore something that was like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like woman's hair, and I would assume that's long and flowy and Maybelline-like, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. I think we've lost the idea of an insect here. How many are tracking with me? An insect has flowing hair, the face of a human, you know, all, all, all of this going on. And let's keep going. They had tails with stingers like scorpions. And in their tails, they had power to torment people for those five months. They had a king. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abandon, and whose Greek name is Apollyon, that is the destroyer. So one thing we know for sure before we get to the locust is that who is over the locust is a demon fallen angel named Apollyon. How many agree with that? No, no, no difficulty there. Now, when we go to the idea of the locusts, here's why I believe they're not just insects. If they were insects, they are some jacked up insects. Once again, you go to the miracle side of things. Can God allow there to be an insect that, that looks like this, that has armor on it, that has the face like a human? Sometimes you'll see creatures like fishes that sometimes have faces like humans. I mean, that could be done. God could do that. Now, the question is, why are they so powerful if they're just insects? Why can't we just kill them? Because you would think you can kill them. Have you ever watched a, a show like uh, Jurassic Park and got mad at the people who can't kill a dinosaur? I'm like, man, I don't care how big that dinosaur is, man. Shoot that thing with a rocket launcher. Like, what, what world are we in? Like, who designed the movie where a rocket launcher bounces off a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Like, our people killed dinosaurs and elephants and big things. You know, I believe our people have always lived with these wild creatures. We'll talk about that another time. They were called dragons back in the day. All major cultures that are ancient talk about killing them and different things. And so we know we can kill an antelope. I mean, an antelope. We can kill a rhinoceros. We can kill a hippo. Of course, we can kill an antelope. That was just some weird name that came to me. We kill elephants. We kill all, But we can't kill these dudes? Come on now. I just don't take it as that. I take it as a locust. It's called a locust, but it's really a demon. Now, somebody might say, Joe, you're not being, you know, you're not being consistent. Just call it a really jacked up uh, insect that has some type of power not to die or be really defeated by the other people. I can go there, and I'm fine with it just being an insect. But here's the reason why I don't go with it being an insect. Have you ever driven in a Mustang before, Ford Mustang? When you were in the Ford Mustang, did it go, <laughs> did it ever make that noise when you were in a Mustang? Did you have to go alongside of it and do a little pooper scooper with the Mustang? But you called it what? A Mustang. Does the Bible, can the Bible call something as a locust and then describe something that's really a demon? Sure, I think it's calling it a locust because locusts are bad and they've been used. Well, John the Baptist ate them. They can be used as food, right? Salma Mahayek, is that how you say her name? She eats crickets. What's her name? Sal? Ma. Salma. That's her first. Let's just say Salma. 
Salma eats crickets. John the Baptist ate locusts, but generally they're looked at as a plague. So I think it's like uh, this is what's going on here. He's saying there's going to be these locusts that come out, but not locusts how you think about them, locusts like this. Now, others go to the next phase and go, they're not demons. They're a human battlefield. Uh, they're human warriors because if you think about it, it could be somebody sitting in an Apache helicopter and their wings sound like many horses. <laughs> And there's the helicopter, there's the face, because you can see it over the shield, and here come the missiles alongside of them that are shooting out, and that's their tail. I'm actually going to use that for something else in just a moment, but here's the reason why I don't believe this is a man-made army. Where does it say they come from? It says they come from the abyss. It says, out of the smoke, locusts come down on the earth. So why didn't he use the language like they're, they're, you know, they're humans, they're gathered together, which is going to be used in just a moment. See, for me, this is all demonic. Let's go back to the very beginning here of the fifth trumpet. Here comes an asteroid that an angel probably sends down or God beams right towards this, uh, this place called the abyss. It explodes and it, boom, opens up the earth. Out of the earth come these creatures who must be there right now, literally. They must be there. They're there. They start to come out. Here comes Apollyon. And he starts guiding and leading them and they're afflicting the non-believers. That's what I think. Is that a little bit scary? Sure, it's scary, but don't be here for it, amen? Live for Jesus. That's my best way of explaining it. I don't think it's a, man, uh, a man-like army. And either way, even if you put the third option there, it's a man-like army, a demon is controlling them. There is, no dis- there is no debate over who is controlling these locusts, whether they're really jacked-up insects, demons that have all of these attributes of locusts plus men plus scorpions, all of that, or if they're a man-made army controlled by a pallion, there's a demon on the earth and people see that demon and they're watching this demon destroy the earth, okay? How many believe that we need Jesus to destroy that demon? There's going to be a good part to the end of this sermon, I should say, a better part, so stick in here with me. Uh, We're getting right to the last one. I'm coming up to it quickly. Verse number 12, the first woe is past. That's the first of the woes. Two more more woes are left, and here here comes the next one. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before the Lord. We heard last time that a voice in Revelation 6.6 came from among the four creatures, which is in that same vicinity. So whose voice do I think that is? I think that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's where the seven spirits of God are at. God is speaking via the Holy Spirit. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, once again, it doesn't say it's a bad angel. Just like here, it doesn't say it's a bad angel. It just says it's an angel of the abyss. But how many know those are part of those fallen angels that Satan took with him? Because how many know Jesus is not tying up his angels like a dog by the Euphrates? Now, you stay here, my good angel, while I tie you up. No, if you go back to the days of Noah and you read in Peter and in Jude's letter, the Bible says some of these demons, these fallen angels, have already been imprisoned for purposes that are yet to come, and they're waiting for more things to come down. So now he looses this angel by sounding the trumpet, says that these demons can be loosed, and then what do they do? They kill a third of mankind. Now, how do they kill a third of mankind? 
Notice this. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, which is 200 million. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million times two. You do it twice. Now, why do I believe whatever descriptions we get here are not of demons or of actual insects or horses or whatever? Why do I believe that? It's because it tells us right here, mounted troops. See, before it called them locusts and gave us a lot of descriptions that I think only fit demons. Now when it says mounted troops, I'm already assuming, once again, that's going to be people. Before, like with the locusts, I didn't quite understand what that was. It could be either insects or real demons. I don't think that the troops, of them being troops of people would make sense because it doesn't say it like it does here. So when I looked at it, I go, man, those locusts sound a lot like demons. Does everybody get where I'm going there? Just trying to be consistent. So here's where I say these are 200 million people as warriors, because it says the mounted troops are this many. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Does everybody get that there? I'm trying to be consistent. The horses and riders. So what do I say he's uh, doing here? He's saying, I saw people riding on things. I saw people riding on things, and this is what they looked like that were riding on things. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. So be careful for any nation that has a flag that is red, blue, and yellow. That might be Lithuania or something. There's like some European nation that's like, what's the colors of Colombia? Do they have blue and yellow and red? Yeah, yeah, come on, be careful with Colombia. No, I'm kidding. This is going to be the colors probably of the Antichrist government, okay? That's not on the earth yet. It's going to be unified at that time. The heads of the horses, now look, now notice the language here. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. So now I can go and start creating a horse-like lion creature, or I can already assume that from the beginning, he's just describing riders that are riding on things, and the only other term he knows is a horse. What else is he going to use? Right? Does everybody, they only had horses and chariots. What else did they have? But he's probably not going to think it's a chariot because a chariot is pulled by a what? A horse. But if you're sitting in a plane, you're sitting on it like a Horse, is everybody getting that? And if you're sitting in a helicopter, you're sitting in it like a horse. You, you see, he would have saw a chariot, but he wouldn't have said that, that, that the, you know, he understood chariots, but he wouldn't have said that as an example because a chariot, by definition, uh, other than it just being a, a box you sit in, has to have a horse pulling it. But he's not seeing anything pull these, these objects. That's why I think he's telling us these horses and riders looked like they had flags on them, they had uh, the heads of, of lions, and that can be the painted on faces that they put on these, uh, these airplanes and helicopters, and they have teeth. You've seen those drawn on there before. And it says, and out of their mouths came. Now look, what, came, what comes out of their mouth? Fire, smoke, and sulfur. See, those locusts had tails that tormented. That sounds like demon activity to me. But what does this sound like to you? Fire, smoke, and sulfur. That sounds like everything that comes out of an airplane or a helicopter. Everything is fire, smoke, and sulfur, you know? That's what they're shooting. That's what's going on there. And then it says, a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of the fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths as it was shooting out. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails was like snakes, having heads which gave them the power to inflict. And so out of their tails as well, they're shooting out weapons. That's what I believe is happening here. Now, 
Is this, as we've talked about before, comparing it to the bowls of wrath, is this the battle of Armageddon that's going to happen here at Euphrates because Euphrates is dried up? No. In the battle of Armageddon, the bowl, the Euphrates is dried up. It doesn't say it's dried up here. It just says the angels that are there, they get out from there and they gather up an army. But then notice here that the army here does the killing in the bowl of wrath. The army is what's being killed. Ooh, did you guys get that or did you go to sleep? Come on, track with me. See, the army here in the trumpet is that which kills 200 million people. Now, somebody say, oh, it's a 200 million man army. No, 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 track with it. What does it say? It says that they killed them and that this is what's happening right here. Let me go up. Uh, the, uh, man, I missed it. Fifth, uh, sixth angel. Here we go. The number of the troops was, two, uh, was 200 million, and I saw the riders right here, and it says that they killed a third of mankind. So yes, I, I want to make sure I'm saying this correct. Yes, the 200 million man army is there, but they have power to kill a third of mankind. At the Battle of Armageddon, is that hundred? It's, it's more than 100 million because it's another big number in, at the Battle of Armageddon. Are they killing mankind? No. What, what does the Bible say in Revelation happens to that end time army? They are killed, every single one of them, and the blood is as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. So what is the similarity here? And then no, no amens, nothing on that. It gets scary, right? But everybody track with me. Just showing once again. See, here's a 200 million man army. They're doing the killing over a third of mankind. Here at the Bowl of Wrath, God is coming down to kill the 100 million plus army and shed their blood upon the earth. Does everybody see the difference? And it's intensified. And it's part of the reason why the bowl is coming is because of what they did in the trumpet. This is when we believe in our timeline here, the Antichrist is losing power and he's trying to unify again. And this army now, instead of helping, is only hurting. And it's going to do like a modern day Holocaust. It's going to kill a third of mankind. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. Let's go to the end of the sixth um, trumpet here, and then we're going to teach you how to whoop the devil today. How many want to whoop the devil? Amen. So it says, it says the, um, the third of mankind are destroyed by them. And then in verse 20, the rest of mankind, that's the rest who are left, who are killed. Remember, a fourth, has, a fourth of the planet has already died during the seals. A third now has died during the trumpets. Those folks who are left who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons. That's why I believe those locusts are demons because they start worshiping them because remember they have things like crowns on them. They must have something that, that the people want to worship out of fear or just out of envy. And that's why I said maybe they're being called aliens and different things. They don't stop worshiping the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, or wood. These idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, nor their sexuality, their immorality, sexual immorality, or their uh, thefts. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the church is going to be around for this kind of warfare upon the earth? A third of the mankind, the demons loosed upon there. No, because look at what the Bible says, Luke 10, 18, Jesus talking. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Remember this. There are three heavens, the heavens where God dwells, the heavens where there's battles going on, and then the heavens of our natural atmosphere, the stars and all of those things. Those are called heavens as well. The Bible says that Jesus was there when Satan fell like lightning from God's presence into the realm of the battle. And then in Revelation, the Bible says he gets kicked out of the spiritual realm and he's forced to come onto earth. And the Bible says he comes angry because he knows his time is short. But get this, the disciples have just been out preaching the gospel, casting out demons, and he's 
says, hey, fellas, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and what? Scorpions. And to overcome how much power of the enemy? All. Somebody shout all. All the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. See, that's how I know this can't be for the church. Because right now, the reason why Apollyon hasn't showed up is because if we see Apollyon, we're going to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you and command you to go back to the abyss of where you came from. Things that bump in the middle of the night and come into your room, you need to bump them back, baby, because you've got the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the triumphant church. We are not supposed to be here when demons come running and hiding from them going, oh, I'm not marked. I'm not one of those. They're tormenting everybody. No, you're even supposed to go now to where people are tormented by demons and cast them out for them in the name of Jesus. There are stories of our missionaries going to the places where there were people like the one tied by the, the tombs, you know, and tied down and afflicted, and they go to those places and cast them out. We still need to find some of them here and cast out those demons in Jesus' name. That's the call of the church. So everybody listen to me. You better take your authority now and whoop on the devil. Take your authority now because if you don't whoop on the devil, he is going to whoop on you. And so I want to be the kind of Christian that the devil's afraid of. I want to be like David going to face Goliath. Like, what you all waiting for? Give me some rocks. I'm coming at him today. Give me Apollyon's address. I'm going after him in Jesus' name. That's why Apollyon's not showing up now. That's why those locusts can't show up. Because you want to see Star Wars or some Marvel comics happen. Let them think come out right now and see what happens in this church. Are you listening? The Bible says we've been given authority to trample on these snakes and these scorpions. And we have all power over them. All power. All power over these things from the abyss, and they can't harm us. However, don't just rejoice that, you're, that the spirits submit to you. See, they have to submit to us. See, that demon called Apollyon gets authority here, but that demon called Apollyon can, kick, uh, you know, can kiss my boots. Are you listening to me? But he can kiss my blood-stained boots because I'm washed head to toe in the blood. Come on, I know I got some lyricists here about ready to make some raps out of this. The devil can kiss my blood-stained boots as I squash on his head. Jesus rose from the dead. Whoa. Come on. Oh, you better take some of that and put that on some, some tracks, man. We've got authority. The Bible says also in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4, for though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons on the, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's why the Bible says in Thessalonians, they, the Antichrist can't even show up until we're taken out the way because we're holding it back. We are the power, the Holy Spirit in us, I should be clear. We're, we're nothing without Christ, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These signs shall follow them that believe in the name of Jesus. They shall cast out demons. By the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, we keep those angels bound by the river Euphrates. You can't come out from there in Jesus' name until we're done winning souls on this earth. Until the gospel's been preached to every tribe, tongue, and language, and peoples. That's the authority the church has. Amen? going to get even some of the post-trib people happy. Get them wanting to be pre-trib. This is the authority of the church. That's why I can't see the church in the book of Revelation after the seven churches have been discussed. And he said, come up here. Yes, Lord, I'm coming up here. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Finally, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It looks like there's a lot of hell coming on earth. There's a lot of weakness. There's people running and hiding. But on this t- in this time, in this age, we are strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. And where are they? In the heavenly realms. Well, I thought, I thought Jesus said he saw him fall from heaven. No, he fell from the heaven where God was at. And every now and then, like with Job, he can present himself there, but he fell from his place of authority there, given the authority over the heavenly realms. But guess who's also battling there? The angels on our behalf in Jesus' name. And it's a time for us to be a kick devil butt generation. That was prophesied by Kim Clement when I was a young person. He was at the piano and he got something from the Lord and said, it's a kick devil butt generation. It's a kick devil butt generation. And as an 18 year old, I'm like, man, I want to kick some devil butt. And I still believe that's what we're called to do, to stomp on the forces of the enemy. To, to call them out by name. I come against the high power of homosexuality over our nation and I break it down in the name of Jesus. I speak over the spirit of political corruption and injustice and break it in the name of Jesus. The spirit of murder of children and genocide and abortion clinics and we cast it down in Jesus' name. I believe we have authority over these powers and these rulers. And angels are dispatched on our behalf when we pray in the name of Jesus. How many are ready to take it out on the devil now? Because the Bible says, he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. If you believe it, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, how many on the shouting side of Calvary waiting for the rapture? How many are going to be a terror to the devil but a blessing to the earth? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come please? The book of Revelation, giving us the revelation of who our Jesus is. We're not here to be afraid of the Antichrist. We're not here to start to try to figure out how we're going to bunker down and get away from the locust army. How many know that's not your priority right now? Come on, can I get an amen? It is not your priority, thank you, to try to figure out how you can get away from the locust army. It is not your priority right now to figure out how you're going to get drinking water if the waters turn to bitterness and blood. I do believe we should be wise and we can store up some stuff because we saw how crazy people got before. But how many know that's not our priority? What does the scripture say? Seek ye first. The what? The Antichrist? The locust army? Is that what it says? Seek ye first famine? Well, no, what does it say? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I know some people here are into conspiracy and and that's good because we should be wise as serpents. We should understand what's going on. But how many know we can't stop this from coming? The Antichrist is still coming. The people of Israel even knew the name of their rulers that were coming up. God had prophesied Cyrus long before Cyrus even ruled over them. Okay, so you know the name of the king that's about ready to conquer you guys and take you over. What does that do for you? You're still getting conquered. God just said, I'm going to show you that I'm in control of this. My point is, even if you knew the Antichrist, even if you knew how the one world government was going to get those flags and do all those things, what is that going to stop? Did, Did the Bible say, go and be doomsday preppers? No, it said, go and make disciples of the nations. 
It's okay to expose lies. Trust me, the Bible says we are here to expose darkness. Do it as often as you can. But sometimes we get so caught up in trying to figure out how, how you know, Epstein is connected to Gates and how Gates is connected to the Rockefellers and how the Rockefellers are connected to the one world government. Man, even if we knew the whole plan, like if you showed it to somebody and go, here is the plan, how many know that's not going to stop it from happening? And, and just telling people the plan is not going to make them want to be a Christian. Like, wow, look, I'm going to get so deep with you and show you all these things. And now you, you will want to be a Christian, right? No, because they don't do it now with the book of Revelation. You show them the book of Revelation and show them how the whole thing's going to end. And they're like, uh, whatever, whatever. So here's my thing. We need to be ready to face the, the enemies of Satan right here on this earth. Because this is one thing we'll never get to do again in heaven. After heaven, Jesus fights him and we come back with him. But right now we get to stand with Jesus and the angels of heaven and have a place down here and to bring the kingdom of God. What an honor. How many believe that's an honor? Sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, I wish Jesus, after we get saved, just took us to heaven and take all the fun out. Isn't, isn't this supposed to be the fun? Uh, you might say, well, Joe, it's a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah, but the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You're down here as an ambassador of the kingdom. You already know you're going to heaven. You already know the Lord and Savior. But you're here to set people free in the name of Jesus and bring them deliverance. If every time we got saved, we just left, who's going to do the work? Who's going to reach out to the prisons? Who's going to go to the, to the, uh, the, the homeless shelter tonight, the, the Pacific Gardens? Man, it's an honor to serve God. It's an honor to be here in this time. You know, David could have said, I'm just going to stay home and be a shepherd. I don't want to get involved in that battle stuff. But no, David had a heart after God. And he said, I want to be where my God is at. And out of all the names for God, oftentimes we forget that our God is a warrior. Our Bible calls our God a warrior. And so we need to learn how to stand with him on the battlefield and fight against these powers of darkness. Amen. Let's pray in closing. Father, I... My first prayer is for anyone here who doesn't personally know you yet. If you're here with somebody you know is not saved, just start praying for them because they're going to have a chance to accept Christ and be under his authority and in his kingdom right now. Father, we pray for anyone here who does not know you, that they'll come to know you by repenting of their sins and asking you to be the Lord and Savior of their lives, to be born again. If you're here today and you say, man, I've done that before, but I'm not living right, would you search your heart and repent of all the sin then? so that you can have full assurance that when these times come, you are with God in His presence because you are the child He wants you to be. Because remember, we're not here to become better scientists, though we may do science. We're not here to be better mothers, though mothers are needed. We're here first and foremost to be children of God. We're first and foremost to be sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. A few moments right now, get all the junk out so that you can prepare yourself for battle. As we're praying for those folks right now, if you're here and you want prayer, you can start to come up because I want to end in worship and I want us to end with praying for anybody here today that wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be a warrior for Jesus in this generation. And some of you might have been filled with the Holy Spirit before, but maybe you've gone through stuff. The Bible says be filled again and again to get another dose of the Holy Ghost, in other words. So as we get ready to sing, the enemy's been defeated because death couldn't hold him down. If you need prayer to get saved, get sanctified, or get set on fire, come on up. 
but the rest of us will dismiss in just a moment. Let's worship and let's do some intercession as we get ready to leave out this place and enjoy the mothers today. Let's pray for the spiritual battles to be won on our jobs, won in our homes, in our community. In Jesus' name.